This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. As I think some listeners know, but I'm pretty sure many don't, uh, there is a contested race uh, for sheriff in Hampshire County this year. Uh, it will be decided as a practical matter in the Democratic primary on September 6th, as I understand it. There is no Republican uh, who will be contesting the race. There are three candidates for the Democratic nomination for sheriff. Uh, sheriff Pat Kalane is running for re-election. Uh, Caitlin Cepeda, who I don't know, but who I will have on the show. And Yvonne Gittleson, who is with us this morning. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us. I really appreciate that, your time. I, I'd like to know, I, and I think this would be helpful for uh, our listeners, uh, how you introduce yourself, because I think for many people, this will be their introduction to you as a candidate for sheriff. So why don't you take two minutes on the mic, but hopefully not too much more than that, for your stump speech. The mic's yours. Okay. Uh, good morning, Bill, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really grateful for this opportunity. So my name is Yvonne Gittleson, and I am a lifelong educator. Now I am a corrections program specialist. In fact, I am the corrections program specialist for the state. I'm a business creator and owner. I have both frontlines experience with justice-involved individuals and statewide administrative experience in corrections. And I'm running because I know um, how things are going in the Hampshire County Jail and the Sheriff's Office in general. And I couldn't sit by and do nothing as this election uh, came up for an opportunity to run and to also educate the voters of Hampshire County as to what we can do differently in the Sheriff's Office, because I do think we need to envision corrections quite differently. Okay, well, let's start there. What do you say uh, should be done differently? All right, so I don't know if uh, voters are aware of the Massachusetts ACLU's campaign that they just launched in April called Know Your Sheriff. And I could not ask for a better coincidental campaign to be going alongside my own. Most people, what the ACLU discovered, most people don't know anything about their sheriff. They don't even know who their sheriff is. Statewide, the ACLU found that only 17% could name their sheriff. And in Hampshire County, it's less than that. Only 13% could name the sheriff. So people don't know who the sheriff is, what the sheriff does, what the office is capable of, what goes on, or really much any anything about it, or the fact that it's a six-year term, which is the longest of any elected official in Massachusetts. And what most people also don't know is that the only body that sheriffs are accountable to are the voters of their county. So if there's an issue or a problem, other than perhaps compliance issues that would go to the Department of Corrections, there really is nobody else, not even the attorney general, not the governor, to whom the sheriffs are truly accountable. It's just the voters. And yet the average voter pays no attention to the sheriff's office and what goes on uh, behind the wall or what could go on in the community for justice-involved individuals. And so now that I know what goes on in the sheriff's office, because I worked there for several years. When was, when was that? When was that? I worked there from 2017 to 2021. I was the education coordinator for the Hampshire County Jail. And now I work uh, for the Department of Education as the corrections program specialist for the state. I oversee over a dozen different programs at the state level, four different state prison sites, eight county jails and houses of correction, and over two dozen DYS facilities. And I work with all of these folks, sheriffs, superintendents, the assistant commissioner for DYS, to uh, keep an eye on them, oversee their programs, keep them in line for compliance and accountability. And in the process of doing that, I manage about $8 million in funding across six different state and federal grants. Okay, and for how long have you done that? I've done this for a year. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you say people don't know what goes on uh, in, in the jail. I, I, let me give you uh, one 
expression of mind, then you can respond to it. Um, sure. I, I think, as someone who practiced criminal law for decades and decades in this county, the uh, uh, m most important job of the sheriff, uh, who is the sheriff, uh, the, the title, the job description, the position is a little uh, misleading. We don't have someone on a horse uh, uh, riding <laughs> through town keeping, uh, keeping bad guys out. The sheriff runs the jail and house of correction. Um, uh, one side being for sentenced prisoners and one for uh, persons who are being held pretrial. Um, that's what the sheriff does. And it seems to me the most important job of the sheriff is to keep the people who are in his custody safe and to keep the staff safe. And my understanding is that Pat Kaling, the sheriff, and his predecessor, Bob Garvey, have done really a quite a spectacular job in that regard. Um, you want to take the job... Um, and I'm wondering whether you have criticisms of uh, Sheriff Kaline in that regard uh, or whether your criticisms are, or your proposals are directed elsewhere. I have um, some criticism there as well. And granted, I would agree that there have been no perhaps egregious examples of safety violations or um, keeping justice-involved individuals safe and staff safe, et cetera. Nonetheless, incidents do go on. Correctional officers routinely get um, assaulted in some way or another. Uh, we might consider it a minor assault, but getting punched in the face, that's an assault. And these kinds of things do go on. Inmates also get into uh, incidents with one another as well. So I would say for the most part, you know, yes, it's a safe facility. However, incidents do still happen. Nonetheless, I think we can do better. I've seen the other facilities around the state, and I know that more can go on specifically with regard to education. And my orientation and my experience is all through education. I'm a lifelong know that education reduces recidivism that's the big big push and the massachusetts legislature has said with criminal justice reform that we need corrections to evolve we need it to be different that it cannot just be custodial warehousing it has to involve programming so i'm the education specialist and that's that's the thing that i can do and can bring and in particular we know that higher education reduces recidivism even further and i'm working with some folks at umass on a prison education program to bring college level educational opportunities to justice involved individuals across the state Okay, Yvonne Gedelson, I promise, promise, promise we'll talk about education. Um, but sure. before we leave the question of safety, uh, is there any, what I really want to know, I and mean, because you mentioned other jails and other facilities, um, is, is there a jail or, uh, in, in the state, in your opinion, that is safer than the Hampshire County Jail? I, here's the thing that I would say, Bill. So my platform is based on transparency accountability, and community. And the main thing that most voters don't know is we just don't know what goes on in most facilities. So is any sheriff going to publicize whether he's got, and they're all he's, by the way, there are 14 counties, 14 sheriffs, they're all men. In this year, uh, we have four races that involve women. And I'd like to see more women in these positions because I think we need a different orientation and a different way of thinking about corrections. So no sheriff is going to publicize and broadcast all the many incidents that go on in their facilities. And in fact, I would put to the voters, these incidents get swept under the rug. They get minimized. It is very difficult to find, that find out that information. And the average citizen in any county doesn't really know what questions to ask. So most sheriffs will say something like, oh, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. But the average citizen really doesn't know what to ask or where to look. So with regard to transparency, I want to do a number of different things. I want to publish the budgets. And there are several different budgets that go on in every different facility. So there's the sheriff's budget. That's the allocation that's provided by the legislature. 
There are budgets like inmate benefits. And by the way, no inmate has any say in what goes into or how that money in inmate benefits is spent. So there's been a lot of talk recently, for example, about phone calls, free phone calls and free video conferencing. And most people would like to see that happen so that justice involved individuals stay connected to their families on a regular basis. And that the process of incarceration doesn't also break families and do more damage while that person is locked away. So we need to think about those kinds of things as a piece of the safety perspective. Someone who is feeling connected to their family is going to be less likely to be agitated inside a facility. And those are the kinds of things that lead to incidents. So busy justice involved individuals who are active in classes and programming and treatment groups and mental health services, they are going to be much less likely to cause incidents with each other, with staff and to um, cause issues nonetheless. And it looks, go ahead. It looks like you want to I, I, I do. I, I have a question. I mean, I, I agree with all that. Um, I, I also think that uh, the other candidates agree with would agree with what you just said as well. So uh, I, I'm really trying to find out from you uh, in, in this regard. Um, uh, and I, and I, uh, one more try on safety, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about education. Sure. Um, uh, among defense lawyers, uh, if you have to have someone go to jail, uh, the place where they feel most confident their client will be uh, taken care of. Uh, is the Hampshire County Jail. Franklin County also has a good reputation. And I'm really wondering, is this a criticism? Is this a serious criticism of the sheriff? Or or is are there other issues that you think are uh, places where the sheriff is uh, vulnerable to your criticisms? I think the key place, and it does tie in very um, directly with what you're talking about with safety. Right now, the Hampshire County Jail is having some significant issues with security staffing. There has been a steady exodus from the Hampshire County Jail. And these folks in the, in the, on the security staff, they're not leaving the field of corrections. They're leaving to take positions in other facilities. And that concerns me. So staff morale is very low, especially among security staff. And we do need to fix the culture inside the Hampshire County Jail. Anyone who works there will tell you that staff morale is very, very low. And among the places that they're leaving to go to, by the way, are the Franklin County Jail. The Hampshire County Jail has had a number of individuals who have made the decision to go there. Uh, some have also decided to go to Hamden. And so there is a criticism that I can level at the present uh, sheriff. And that is that there is a certain amount of tone deafness and inattention to staff concerns and a lack of involvement in staff uh, of staff in decision making that goes on at the highest administrative levels. And frankly, that is a concern. I, I am concerned about um, the overall culture inside the Hampshire County Jail that is less than desirable. And if staff is unhappy, that kind of culture trickles down to the treatment that the justice-involved individuals get. We are speaking with Yvonne Gittleson. She's a candidate for the Democratic nomination for sheriff in Hampshire County. Uh, for those who are uh, interested in other candidates, yes, 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 we will have them on the show, I promise you. Uh, and we are going to take a break now and be back with more with Yvonne Gittleson right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. 
When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. RiverValley.coop. My baby boy was a very good sleeper. He would nap in the morning and nap again in the afternoon, so my routine became that I would drink the first half of the time I expected him to sleep so that I could pass out the second half. Even during my pregnancy, knowing that it might be harmful to the baby, I could not stop drinking. The fear of any harm to that child was not enough to make me stop. Sometimes I would try to go to the park with him, but I was becoming really fearful of people finding out what a sick person I was. Today, since I joined AA, I don't have that sensation anymore at all. I have a purpose in life today. I know who I am. I know where I'm going and I feel good about it. I can be a mother to my child and I can be a wife to my husband and I couldn't be any of those things when I was drinking. Alcoholics Anonymous, it works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. Hilltown Families, a community-based education network in Western Mass, believes in creating resilient and sustainable communities by developing and strengthening a sense of place. Together, we are creating a new culture of intentional learning, one that is based in our communities and infused with local and personal values, supporting authentic connections through self-directed learning. Each week online at hilltownfamilies.org, we identify embedded learning opportunities found in local events and resources, interpret the educational and social value of engagement, and share with our readers smart ways to engage in their community and with one another. When we make learning inclusive, accessible, and intergenerational, bringing people together through a shared interest and creating a shared history, we strengthen our sense of place and our sense of self. Join us at hilltownfamilies.org. Subscribe and discover your community while participating in the creation of a new culture of intentional learning. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Yvonne Gittleson, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for sheriff of Hampshire County. The primary is September 6th. It will, as a practical matter, decide the election because I don't believe there is a Republican candidate or any other candidate running, uh, who will be running in November. During the break, we continued our conversation. And Monty, you had an interesting question. I wish you'd repose it. I think the listeners would be interested in this. Yeah, when we were hearing about your resume, the overlap between the time you were working at the Hampshire County Jail overlaps with the current sheriff, Kay Lane. And my question to you off the air, which we can ask on the air now, is what prompted you to leave in the first place? Which was about a little over a year ago, as I understand it. Yes, so this was part of a longer range plan. Um, I came in with the current sheriff at about the same time and about two to three years in, it was pretty clear that a number of us were saying that this administration was not on the right track. And I began to think, hmm, I, I think I can do a better job here. I think I have a better approach and I have a different skill set than this particular sheriff has who comes from a security background and I come from a broader um, set of experiences. And what most people don't know is that you cannot remain at a jail and challenge a sitting sheriff who is running for re-election. So I developed a longer range plan and I took myself back to graduate school. I got myself a master's in leadership and management with a focus on education and correctional facilities. And I then got myself a position with the Department of Education as the corrections program specialist. And I knew that I would be able to bring that experience and those connections back to Hampshire County. I know that we can do better. And in particular, I think Hampshire County needs to be the county with a correctional facility that is the statewide leader in education, and specifically because we've got UMass Amherst right here. Um, I, I think that when uh, 
Pat Kalin is on the show, he will talk about the many educational programs that are available at the Hampshire County Jail. So are you saying that those programs are, what are you saying about those programs? Because there are a lot of them. I'm sure you know them. I do, because I brought many of them to the Hampshire County Jail. But for me, what was the tipping point was that uh, at the end of uh, fiscal year 2021, uh, Sheriff Kaylane returned over a quarter of a million dollars in education grant funding. And that was for adult basic education, vocational education and training, and even some money for Title I, which is for at-risk youth who are incarcerated. And given the fact that I had written most of those grants and that they were competitive and that they were very hard to come by, I had a hard time with that money being returned to the Department of Education. And it was fairly alarming to the Department of Education, so much so that the state director of adult ed called the sheriff and said, Sheriff, please help us understand. We've never had a program. We've never had a county jail return this amount of money to us before. What happened? What went wrong? And I can tell you now as the corrections program specialist for the state, no other facility returned money. And that just isn't done. You just don't return grant funding. So this concerned me and this caused me to really uh, think even, even more seriously about stepping up and challenging the current sheriff for this position. I know we can do better in Hampshire County. There are a, a number of educational programs at the jail, um, and uh, uh, one, one of which uh, I was very impressed with when I was, uh, I was asked to uh, address the uh, graduates um, of the Nurturing Fathers program, for example, mm-hmm. which was an innovative program. As I understand it, you can tell me mm-hmm. I'm wrong, uh, un- under the sheriffs. Uh, so what additional programs or educational programs are you saying uh, should, should be offered or can, can be offered? You know, where, where the uh, – uh, you're saying there are there's, – there's, there's been, insu- I guess, insufficient educational programming. So tell us where it's been, in your judgment, insufficient. So right now the current inmate census is approximately 110 between pretrial and sentenced individuals in the facility. And how does that break down between uh, uh, people held It breaks down approximately 70% pretrial detention and approximately 30% sentenced. And that's pretty much standard across the state among the county houses. That's, That's generally the direction that most of them are going in. So at the Hampshire More County Jail, let me just make sure I understand. At the Hampshire County Jail now, there's a little over 30 uh, men who are serving sentences and some 70 who are being held on bail pretrial. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So what that means is, and what I can tell you is that out of that total census, only, only about 25 are in the adult education program. And a lot of folks want to know why, why that number is so low and why a facility like Hampshire can't do better. I can tell you that while I was there, I had many, many individuals on the pretrial detention side asking for education services. And I asked many different times for opportunities to serve them and could not get the attention or the bandwidth to be able to do so. And I find that unacceptable. So let me give you an example. There was one um, man, and he was not a young, particularly a young man. He was in his late 20s, I believe, at the time, who was there on the pretrial side when I arrived in 2017. And he was asking to work to get his high school equivalency. And he asked and he asked and he asked. And because his charges were serious, Security said that he could not participate by coming off the pretrial unit and coming to the program area where the classes are held. And I asked if we could. Let me just let me know if just for one second, just for our listeners may not understand. At the jail, uh, uh, persons are held pretrial and they're held uh, for the most part. 
regardless of the charge. If they're charged here, these can be superior court ca- cases. They can also be district court cases. They can be serious. They can be not so serious. Well, serious enough to have a bail that they can't meet. Um, but there are people held uh, pretrial who are charged, presumed innocent, but charged with serious crimes. That, that part's true. Please, I, I interrupted. Correct. Oh, no, and that's fine. And thank you for that explanation. So he was asking to be able to work on his high school equivalency, and he was prevented from doing so. And that was a decision that was being made above my level. I could not get him access to education programming, unfortunately. When I left the Hampshire County Jail in 2021, he was still there, never having gotten his high school equivalency. And I found out after I left that he had been uh, finally adjudicated and sent to state prison. And by not having his high school equivalency, when he appeared in front of the judge and was sentenced, he was unable to say to the judge, look, I wasn't sitting there doing nothing. I did some good work. I got my high school equivalency. I'm serious about this. And my point is that might have reduced his sentence. I don't know what sentence he was given by the judge, but in all likelihood, that would have been taken into consideration if it could have been taken into consideration. Furthermore, in the process of being sent to state prison, uh, an individual can earn something called points, and that those points, the individual's attorney can argue for a better placement in the state prison system. It means that that individual could have argued to be sent to Gardner, for example, instead of maybe Sousa Baranowski. Which, are, which is a lower level security state prison for those it, of our listeners it, who don't know the difference between Baranowski and, and, the, and, and, and others. Yeah. Exactly. And thank you. Thank you for that clarification. I do very much appreciate that. And it's helpful to know because the average citizen, you know, just does not know how this works. So here's my point. By him being denied access to education services, that impacted that individual perhaps for years on his sentence, for all we know, or the experience of custody that he will have in wherever it is that he was sent. And he's not the only individual, but he was there in pretrial for over four years, waiting and not being given access to education programming. Yeah, some 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 of that, I assume, is... Uh, uh COVID, COVID related, why it took so long for him to get to trial. I mean, four years, being held four years. Well, although that could happen on a murder trial, for murder charge, for example. We resumed education programming in June of 2020. Let, let, let me ask you this, uh, Yvonne Gilson, because we just have a minute or two left. I'm happy sure. to have you back on the show. Um, uh, I'd love to come back. The uh, uh, the sheriff's office, I, I think, is an important office. Um and I know you have some uh, other thoughts that you'd like to share with us. So why don't I suppose asking you a direct question? Why don't you give us uh, your your final thoughts, and we'll continue this conversation. It was certainly we'll cover cover the race as it goes forward into into the uh, election on September sixth. So I'll give you the microphone back. You have two minutes. Okay. So. I also want to focus on issues like accountability. For example, some folks don't know that certain positions in the sheriff's office, which are great jobs, by the way, and even though the name of the position or the facility is the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office, it's actually a state facility. We have all come under the state now, the state government, because the counties were done away with. But we have some important and, and really terrific jobs within that office, and not all of them have been posted, either internally or externally. And I think that that is a piece of accountability that the sheriff needs to be held to, that anytime there's a position like that, it should be offered both internally and then externally. I want to develop community further. And I certainly have a number of specific programs, like a dog program that I want to bring to the jail. I want to work with UMass and the Prison Education Initiative. I want to bring a virtual CDL and truck driving curriculum um, to the jail, because that can happen as well. And truck driving is an excellent occupation with family-sustaining wages. I have more ideas about making the facility greener and less waste 
and just a better overall climate. But my bottom line is I know we can do better in Hampshire County. Okay, we leave it there. We've been speaking with Yvonne Gittleson, candidate for the Democratic nomination for sheriff in Hampshire County. Thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it, and we will continue to cover this race. Thank you, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The search for a new superintendent in Chicopee continues. Mayor John View spoke at a spring neighborhood meeting last night and said they're putting together a comprehensive panel to help in the search. View outlined what they're looking for. A good communicator, knowledge of Massachusetts curriculum, financial management abilities, people management skills, experience working with unions. Former Superintendent Lynn Clark was removed from her position in April after being indicted for allegedly lying to the FBI and sending threatening text messages to a candidate for the city's police chief. Funding for a new library in Shutesbury is being secured as voters approved a Proposition 2.5 override this week for the estimated $6.4 million project. The Friends of the Library have had a steady fundraising drive that has continued over the past decade, raising more than $300,000. The library was also selected to receive the inaugural Small Library Pilot Project grant that will pay between 60 to 65 percent of the estimated costs. The new building will be on Leverett Road and will hopefully break ground in winter of 2024. The Belchertown Select Board is making history. The board voted unanimously Monday night, passing a proclamation recognizing the importance of National Pride Month for LGBTQIA plus people for the entire community. Newly formed Belchertown Pride's mission is to build stronger connections in the LGBTQIA plus community and to build bridges and better understanding through educational awareness and cultural events for all residents. Mostly sunny skies today with highs in the mid-80s. Mostly clear tonight with lows in the upper 50s to low 60s. Friday will be hot with mostly sunny skies. Temperatures getting into the low 90s. Showers and storms likely Saturday with increased humidity. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Casi tres meses después de obtener la confirmación de la Corte Suprema que Tanji Brown-Jackson se convierte oficialmente en jueza de la máxima autoridad judicial de la nación. Jackson, de 51 años, jurará como la jueza 116 de la Corte este jueves, justo cuando el hombre al que reemplaza el juez Stephen Breyer se jubila. El intercambio judicial de roles tendrá lugar al mediodía, el momento en que Breyer dijo en una carta al presidente Joe Biden el miércoles que su retiro entrará en vigencia después de casi 28 años en el tribunal más alto de la nación. Se espera que la Corte emita sus opiniones finales el jueves temprano en un término trascendental y rencoroso que incluyó anular la garantía del derecho al aborto de Roe versus Wade. En una ceremonia que la Corte dijo que transmitirá en vivo en su sitio web, Jackson recitará dos juramentos requeridos para los jueces de la Corte Suprema, uno administrado por Breyer y el otro por el presidente del Tribunal Supremo, John Roberts. Jackson, jueza federal desde 2013, será la primera mujer negra en servir como juez. Se unirá a tres mujeres. Las juezas Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan y Amy Coney Barrett, la primera vez que cuatro mujeres servirán juntas en el tribunal de nueve miembros. En otras informaciones, algunos adultos de Estados Unidos están un paso más cerca de recibir refuerzos de COVID-19 actualizados este otoño, ya que los asesores del gobierno votaron el martes que es hora de ajustar las vacunas para que coincidan mejor con las variantes más recientes del virus. La Administración de Drogas y Alimentos tendrá que decidir la receta exacta, pero espera una inyección combinada que agregue protección contra una versión de la variante Omicron supercontagiosa a la vacuna original. Los asesores de la FDA votaron que alguna versión de Omicron debería ser parte de una campaña de refuerzo de otoño, un esfuerzo por mitigar un aumento esperado de COVID-19. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We have with us in the studio, I'm really happy to say, uh, Lori Millman, who is the executive director of the Center for New Americans and who has with her and us today a very special person for a very special reason, which we are going to talk about. And I'll allow you the honor and pleasure of the introduction, Lori. Um, well, tell us who you have with us, and then we're going to talk to you and then to him. Great. Thank you, Bill. 
Our guest is Quid J, and he will become a U.S. citizen on July 4th. He passed his citizenship interview on June 21st. He started with us as a student in our English classes um, and then came back to apply for citizenship, and we're so proud. Tell us a bit about what happens on July 4th and what will happen on this July 4th in here in Northampton. This is our 14th annual naturalization ceremony in Northampton, and we do this in partnership with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. 52 uh, new Americans will take their oath of allegiance. Five of them have been supported through the process by Center for New Americans, so it's very exciting for us to be able to celebrate with five people who we assisted through citizenship. Um, the wonderful uh, U.S. Federal Magistrate Catherine Robertson will preside. She's warm and welcoming and says this is you know, one of the best things she does as a judge, and we love to have her. And Evelyn Harris will sing the national anthem. So it's a wonderful team to welcome uh, the newest citizens. The ceremony is obviously free and open to the public, and is where and when? It is at 11 o'clock on Monday, July 4th, on the lawn of the historic Northampton Courthouse. It's at the corner of King and Main Streets in Northampton. And yes, it's outside, and it's open to everyone, and everyone is welcome to bear witness. I've been to some of the ceremonies, not all of the 14, all of the 14 years that you've been doing this, but... Uh, I found the experience really moving, and I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners why that is. And my my experience is not singular in any yeah. way. It, I think that everyone who goes finds these experience, the ceremony, really moving. And I wonder if you could share your feelings and thoughts about why. It's extremely moving, and especially for people who. Um, sometimes feel that our country is a little lost or that, um, that we struggle to uphold our ideals. And then you welcome people who arrive very early, much earlier than they need to, wearing their um, most important clothes, bringing all of their family members, carrying American flags, and they are so happy and thrilled to be there. And they have worked so hard. They have studied. They have paid a lot of money. They have taken a long journey. And this means so much to them. And it sort of centers people who have been born here and take this country for granted. And for me, it's a perspective that just reminds me that we have so much work to do. And yet, there are people from all over the world who see the ideals that the country espouses and believes that they're possible and want to work to continue them. And it just, it gives you hope and inspiration. Um, and um, I think the country is richer for all these traditions and new voices and the League of Women Voters will be there to register the new Americans to vote, and we all hope that everyone will register to vote because that's that's the country's resilience. I, I think I think it was Johnson, President Johnson, who said that the country is stronger for being enriched by many streams, and that's our resilience. That's our secret power. Let me turn to uh, Quid Jay. Yes. Tell us your story what you can and will share with us, please. How do you come to this point? Uh, <coughs> yeah, uh, I come to United States as a ROG. And uh, before I come to United States, I live in Kenya for 11 years to get this process to come to this country. And I come to this country 2016 and when I come to this country, I little bit is like I cannot speak in English well, but I went to English class. Uh, I joined English class 2018, Center for New America. And then I see I studied there for two years and up. 
and I get a job. Then I stop the class, and I come back to apply for citizenship, and for sure they help me a lot. And then when I apply for my citizenship, I study hard to pass this citizenship, and all for my story is the happiness in my life to be United States citizen. Tell us, if you would, please, a bit more about why you came to the United States. How did you happen to come to the United States? Yeah. So what happened first in my country, genocide, is happened to my people. So in 2003, we get genocide in Gambela, Ethiopia. So after genocide, I ran away cross border Ethiopia from South Sudan. Then I live in South Sudan for two years and I decide I move to Kenya. That's why I lived there for 11 years. And America, they decide to bring me here. And that is the, the, that is the part of my story make me happy because when I'm thinking about the country like United States, I will decide who really love me between the United States and my country? And when you say my country, what, what do you mean? Yes, when I say my country, mean where I grew up because I am from Ethiopia. Then Ethiopia government, he tried to kill me and the United States government took me and just changed my life. So I can be happy for that, like if someone take you and change your life, and really your government kill you, so I'm so happy to be here for like, for many reasons, and I love United States so much. Your government tried to kill you? Yes. I, I, I'm hesitant to ask this question, but I think probably I, I should. Um, were other family members of yours targeted? Did the government go after yes, your family? Yes, yeah, yes. It's a genocide because they targeted uh, one tribe. Us United States cannot say that, but we still say tribe. So when we say tribe, mean uh, we are big country with many tribe in. So they targeted only my people, and they targeted only men who are educated. So and one day they killed twenty-four men in the city. So. Yeah, and live women. So that's why you see me here today. I am in this country. Did you know some of those people? Were any of them family? I know some as my friend died, but in my family no one died. But the other brothers, he get shot that time. But I, it's like he's not die. He's still alive now. And then you escaped to South Sudan, and then from there to Kenya? Is it, did I understand yes, correctly? sure. And then you spent 11 years in Kenya. Why? Oh, yeah. I spent those years because I am there in Kenya in a refugee camp. So waiting what will change to my country is like three things. Either I can die in the camp or in the system change in my country, I go back. But really, I don't have dream like I can come to this country, but only God know brought me here. And did you have any friends or relatives in the United States when you arrived? I don't have relative in the United States. I am the first person to come in this country in my family. Yeah, no one here. And how did you happen to come to this area? Why are you in Western Massachusetts? Oh, sure. Yeah, for the first time when I come, uh, my first place is not uh, is South Carolina. That is my my first home in the United States. Then I stay there for almost two years. After two years, I meet with one of my friend. You know, then she grew up in Massachusetts. She decided like, oh, if you need to move with me to Massachusetts we can move there and stay there and just see the life. And then I say, yes, we can do it. 
and then now I now you see me, I'm here, and today I feel like much success is home to me. It's such a moving story, Quid uh, Jay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back more with Quid Jay and Laurie Millman, Executive Director of the Center for New Americans. We're talking about the naturalization ceremony on July 4th, just a few days, on the courthouse lawn here in Northampton. If you haven't been, do yourself a favor and go be part of this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more, deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are buried in berries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, schnozberries. Okay, they don't have any schnozberries, but they've got every other kind of local berry going. State Street, Fruit Store, and Cooper's Corner have always offered produce, picked by our Connecticut River Valley neighbors as soon as and as long as they're available. So come get fruit at a fruit store. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street Fruit Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 1015, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. At the Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food. In the Northampton Survival Center, queremos que nadie debería elegir entre pagar sus cuentas o comprar alimentos. We supply free groceries for people in 18 Hampshire County communities in a safe outdoor distribution. Proveemos comestibles gratis a personas en 18 comunidades del condado de Hampshire en una distribución segura y al aire libre. For information about grocery pickup or delivery, call 413. 586-6564 or visit NorthamptonSurvival.org Para información sobre recogida o entrega de comestibles llame al 413-586-6564 o visítenos en NorthamptonSurvival.org If the challenges of the past year have left you needing help we are here for you. Si las dificultades del año pasado lo han llevado a necesitar ayuda estamos aquí para usted. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Quid Jay, who is about to become an American citizen. And I love the smile on your face every time we say those words. You just light up the room. It's quite amazing. We were talking during the break about, or you were telling us in response to our questions during the break, about how you had to learn English and had to do that, among other things, not only to obviously have a good job here, but to uh, become a citizen. Tell us a little bit about how you learned English. Okay. Uh, the way I learned English, so when I lived in Kenya, I went to school a little bit, but I learned a little bit. But when I come to United States, the easy way, for you to learn English, you need to join any organization, America people, teach people with English join. Like me now, I join Center for New America, that's why I approve my English. And then I get good job now, it's okay for me, 
but I know I will get better job again than this one I am now. Because, but the, really, for sure, for your life to be good, you need to join English class. Where do you work? I work at UMass. Uh, in what, what part of it? I work at UMass Food Service. And how long have you had that job? Uh, I had that job for almost 40 years to five years now. Tell us a bit more about your, the first language that you spoke and the second language that you know. Okay, like uh, my first language is Anyuak. Anyuak is my mother tongue, and we have Ethiopia. Language is called Amharic. And then uh, when I am in Kenya, I learn language called, called Kuswahili. I can speak Kuswahili really for sure, and I can speak Arabic. Then, in like many local languages, I cannot mention. Yeah, I have a lot. It's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. I can barely get out a few English words occasionally. <laughs> that's that's astounding. Are these languages? Do they have different different alphabets than English? Yes, not like Kuswahili. When we talk about Kenya, like Kuswahili, is like spelling is like English spelling, but we change in everything like a little bit, but it's the same English. But Amharic is totally is different. Yeah. Amharic Ethiopia language is totally is different. Can you tell us in the minute or so we have left, can you tell us about your experience at the Center for New Americans? Okay, my period for the Center of America, Center of, Amer Center, <coughs> Center of America is, is my life sometime, I can say that because they teach me a lot, they show me a lot, and they help me a lot. That's the only thing I can tell people to join Center for New America. If you are in Massachusetts, you need to learn English, join. And if you already know it or are already a citizen, you can support them in the work too. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking forward to the ceremony? Yes. On July 4th? Yes. I just can't tell you the big that smile. Is I, I, this, I love radio, but I wish we had a uh, video here so we <laughs> could show you this enormous smile, the, just the joy that is emanating from next to me. Laurie Millman, you're the executive director of the Center for New Americans. We'll give you the last 15, 20 seconds. Well, thank you for helping us <laughs> Excuse me, spread the word. It is a joyous celebration. The community comes out. Uh, everyone is there. The Boy Scouts are at the Color Guard. Evelyn Harris sings. Catherine Robertson, the judge, is warm and welcoming. And um, it's, it's a feel-good moment. It's 11 o'clock on the old courthouse lawn in downtown Northampton on the 4th of July. Thank you both so very, very much. Thank that you. That in the skyway I saw below me That golden valley This land was made for you and me This land is your land WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.